Hey, Sam. Hey, Luke. What's, uh, what's wrong, buddy? I just watched the hit 2004 film Troy starring Brad Pitt and Eric Bana, but I don't know if it's accurate at all. Hey, we've all been there, friend. This has you pretty messed up, huh? Well, I have good news for you. Ah! Jesus! I'm a doctor. Of medicine? Even better, classics. And I have all the answers for your burning questions about myths, ancient Greco-Roman history, and the movies. Where can we get this incredible medicine? Over on the podcast, Greased Lightning. It's on all your favorite podcatchers. It will be the sweet ambrosia of the gods. New episodes every other Monday. Two words to me in three years of Bret Hart Welcome to Hanksy Panksy, a podcast where two dumb idiot best friends fill themselves, mind, body, and soul with two bright video of a dying, mulleted Tom Hanks. I'm <laughs> Sam Siegel, and I'm one of those dumb idiots. And I'm the skipper of this yacht. I am Luke Patrick. Hey, Sam. Hey, Luke. Uh, this week we watched uh, 1990s Joe versus the Volcano. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and what, a, what a trip that was. How... How was your watch this week? Man, I gotta tell you, this was a special watch. Like, dare I even say it, a sacred watch. Because, Uh I don't know if you realize, Sam, but one, there's two momentous things that have happened here. One, we've moved out of the 80s. We are officially in the 90s. So how's that hitting you right now? Oh, it's uh, like fucking spring water being poured Mm. over my naked body. Hmm, yeah. Definitely loving, loving the change, changes the spice of life. And then two, I don't know if you realize this, but this is kind of, it's a little bit wistful. This is the last of our, let's call them stinkers, kind of our Tom Hanks early career stinkers. Like we're about to hit some of the big movies that yeah. he was in. So Some movies made with some level of skill. <laughs> right. So it's a little... It's a little wistful. It's, you know, we've gotten so used to wearing this specific suit, this like worn out, stained, shitty suit. With the big shoulder pads. Yeah, with the huge shoulder pads. So I'm a little sad to to see it go, but what a way to go out. How is, you know, how is this for you, my man? I gotta say, it was a great watch, uh, sort of a, a return to form for me, because the, the past couple have been challenging watches, I would say. Yeah. And, and this one... Uh, just went down smooth. Mm-hmm. Watched it with my wife again. Nice. Who had some interesting reactions to this one. Yeah, just a just a great trip. I I really enjoyed seeing Tom. I I really uh, locked in with him this week. Maybe more so than I have in the past. Yeah, I'm right there with you, buddy. And and so on that note, Luke, did you miss Tom? Dude, I genuinely did this week. Like, I know we joke, haha, on this podcast. We we make jokes about missing Tom or not missing Tom. But I straight up missed the dude. This week was a gift to kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit. We're actually recording this after our 
bonfire episode uh, that we did with the lovely people from What Went Wrong. And just the brief escapade where we kind of dipped our toes into serious Tom. I really genuinely missed this flavor of the smooth Tom where we get dumb plots, (laughs) very dumb movies, him being just spastic and manic all over the place. I was so stoked to dig into this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am. uh, Again, we continue to share a brain because fuck, I no no jokes jokes are out of the room Mm -hmm. i miss tom so much this week i don't know (laughs) what it was because uh i we didn't see tom even that long ago but it feels like this is a different tom and this is the tom that i know this is the tom that i love and this is the tom that i need yeah i straight up needed this i was expecting to get more island time with tom given that this was about him traveling to a island in the south pacific so it was a little sad about that but you know Mm -hmm. any amount of this tom that i get to ingest in a week uh, is pretty good hey i wanted to talk about this really quick too Uh this was the first movie we ever looked up while potentially pursuing this project do you remember that yeah i i did want to bring that up that this is the movie that essentially gave us the idea to to ruin our lives with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Was it worth the wait? Do you feel like we've arrived? Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the tone has changed. <laughs> That's yeah, for sure. So, hmm. Uh, I was entertained. Hmm. Um, yeah. Or are you saying, was this movie worth all the pain that we've subjected ourselves over the past... Uh, 15 weeks yeah i guess the question is when we when we decided to do this and thought this would be a good idea do you think we validated that premise now that we have finally seen joe versus the volcano i think so yeah nice i think so too though i have just had a little dread set in at the realization that luke we've been doing this for 15 weeks Yeah, I've been clocking that. My sense of ennui started about episode 13 just with the realization that week after week (laughs) we have been subjecting ourselves to streaming services of all ilks, purchasing rentals. I mean, we've we've consumed a Hanks film every week for more than more than three months at this point. How does that make you feel? Uh, I don't know anymore. (laughs) I don't know. I want to bring a good energy to this one. but fuck. Yeah. Oh, How does God. it make you feel to know that we've got about 70 more <laughs> movies to get through? Now, on that front, weirdly, I'm very excited. Nice. But uh, before we dig into this wet and wild film, uh, and I mean that in its most literal sense, could you break down the plot for our fine listeners? Sure thing. I'll give you Luke Patrick's three-act structure of your money-back guarantee. So... Joe versus the volcano. Uh, in Act One, we're introduced to Joe, who works at what appears to be a basement factory. Well, I guess they show us that they produce anal probes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's working in a gray, dingy Tim Burton-esque factory in the basement. Uh, he's a hypochondriac. He has multiple doctor visits. His boss is terrible. He goes to the doc, who tells him that he has a brain cloud. Yes. That is not a joke. That is what he diagnoses him with and says that because of said brain cloud he will show no symptoms but he will die within six months so he'll have five months of no symptoms life is great and then a speedy decline right sending sending tom hanks into a total spiral so he quits his job he asks out uh, one of the other co-workers that works with him gets up the courage 
then the date goes poorly. Uh, and a note that I had is that no one will fuck this dying man. No one. Because this happens a lot that he says, oh, I'm dying. And then his prospective partner then goes, oh, I have to go. Yeah, they, they dip out. <laughs> yeah, which is curious. Uh, anyway, so uh, it's sort of near the end of Act 1. He's approached by a mysterious gentleman who I'm just going to call the Colonel because he kind of has uh, Colonel Sanders vibes. He does. Very much so. If Colonel Sanders did PCP. Who tells him that he owns... Or he's, he's looking to own the mineral rights to an island in the South Pacific, and the natives want somebody to be chucked into a volcano. No one will do it on the island uh, since he's going to die anyway. Why doesn't he just do it for him? Tom Hanks gets some credit cards, goes on a shopping spree, uh, stays at some very fancy hotels, and then boards a yacht after meeting uh, one of the daughters of this man, who's very strange. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Boards the yacht and meets another daughter, who is the skipper of the boat, played by Meg Ryan. And they are going to sail to the island. The boat breaks apart halfway there because of a typhoon. They float on some uh, luggage. We'll talk about the luggage. (laughs) For quite a while, some real castaway vibes are stranded at sea. They eventually do drift to the island. Um, Mm -hmm. After like 10 minutes of being stranded at sea, it's quite a long sequence. And then with the resolution of Act 3... He's pretty gung-ho to get chucked into a volcano. They have sort of a fete on the island, and then Meg Ryan tries to dissuade him from doing it. He's not to be dissuaded, so they randomly get married because they decide that they're in love, and they jump into the volcano together. And Sam, the end of this movie is that the volcano blows them out of the said volcano into the ocean. The island is gone. Everybody's dead. And then their luggage pops up, And they float away into the sea, saying that they're going to live their lives happily because obviously a brain cloud is not a thing. Thank you, Dr. House. (laughs) And uh, they're just going to be happily ever after. Literally, the ending sequence of this is text on the screen saying, and then they lived happily ever after. Did I I miss anything in there? Boy, you uh, did not. Mm. That is pretty much the tall and short of it. And um, holy fuck. (laughs) <laughs> where where do you want to dive into this soupy broth first my dude uh should we start with the ending i kind of want to start with the ending yeah yeah so we finished the movie my wife and i mm-hmm. and she immediately and angrily said what was that <laughs> sam what was that what was that sam what was that mm. she was incensed Total shock. I get it, man. Well, and it's a it's a buck wild ending. They're fired out in the in maybe some of the worst graphics we've seen yet, mm-hmm. and and then they're not at all bothered that this entire island worth of people just disappears beneath the sea. Yeah. Um, and that an, an entire culture has been erased. Yeah. It's also worth noting that we they keep talking about this island, but the I think we spend maybe twenty minutes out of an hour and forty total if even that on this island like we the sequence of events is show up have party chucked into volcano like it's so quick for the end destination it's like we've journeyed to the center of the earth we got a jamba juice and we left yes Pooh, it's something um <laughs> well and then like so again so this island is disappearing beneath the waves mm-hmm. and 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 an, an entire culture uh, unique to anywhere else on the planet, as mm-hmm. as described by this movie, which is, if if you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Celtic Hebrew Latin culture, <laughs> which 
I was so mad about this. We saw none of that. It's just none. kind of an island in the South Pacific. I was so excited to see this like corned beef hash with latkes and exactly. poi, like fusion. Yeah, it was it was really disappointing because holy, holy shit. And and I think th- this was sort of a question that I had, and and we can dig into this a little bit, but. It's definitely a, a pretty offensive portrayal, right? Mm. Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay. But yeah, so so this island is, is sinking into the sea. All these people are ostensibly dead. And Meg Ryan just says, we really lucked out. <laughs> well, we averted that uh, total cultural collapse. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. They, they completely forgot about uh, everyone on the island that they just met. Yeah. And... Fuck, man, I just... The whole mm-hmm. island sequence is very strange because it's it's presented initially as this, like, kind of interesting slam jam of cultures because mm-hmm. an island founded by ancient Romans who... It was a it was an ancient Roman ship full of Jews and Druids. Uh, <laughs> you've, you've got me hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Um, and then they show up and it's just some very offensive trappings of just kind of Pacific Islander like native pacific islander cultures or something it's it's super offensive yeah but the the whole island is kind of it's very fetishy mm. because they show they show uh tom and meg getting uh kind of cleaned up and, and ready for uh tom jumping into the volcano yeah and for meg she's just kind of being pampered and stuff but tom is uh bathed and then he's hit with fish, which yeah. just, that feels like someone's whole thing. <laughs> Maybe Tom's given our conspiracy corner history. Yeah. And then, like, they rub his feet and, like, kiss him and suck on his toes and shit. And that's yeah. 100% someone's whole boner scene. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it does also really zoom in on Meg Ryan's feet for a while. Mm. Um, It just, it really felt like Fetish Island. Yeah, this was Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks' visit to Fetish Island for 10 mm-hmm. minutes. I kind of miss those details. I'm glad you're bringing them. I will say that I was sad that they didn't do this weird historical culture angle because I thought they gave themselves a really good out for not doing the really racist, stereotypical portrayal. They could have thrown literally anybody on this island. Yeah. And it would have been funny. It, it could have been so good. And instead we got this like... Again, pretty offensive sort of island vibe Hava Nagila. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Without the, you know, the cultural makeup that I was expecting. I mean, they really wrote in such a good off ramp and then they just kept barreling straight through the barricade at the end of the road. Right. I, it was it was supremely disappointing that that's that's what we ended up with. Yeah, I do want to talk a little bit more about the tone of this ending because Sam, I want to see what get a just like a temperature check here because it was very surreal the ending of this movie, and I will say that other parts of this movie were pretty surreal. I'm very much thinking about the beginning. If you want to ping pong over to the beginning of this movie, yeah, holy shit, yeah, because we start for the folks at home, we start in what genuinely feels like a Tim Burton film. Like everything is heavily stylized. The factory is like. I mean, if you were to write like a a Marxist propaganda film about what a 1990s factory of anal probes would be like, this is essentially what you would get. Everything is like way over the top gray. Their jobs suck. And no one like the first five minutes in the movie is his boss 
on the phone repeating the same dialogue over and over and it did make me want to insert an anal probe and then potentially run screaming naked into the streets um yeah, yeah. it was a tough swallow yeah i am uh i am right there with you boy that is a that is a hard scene to to deal with mm-hmm. um because he is i wrote it down I wrote it down jesus fuck uh harry can he do the job i know he can get the job but can he do the job harry harry can he do the job? I know he can get the job, Harry, <laughs> but can he do the job? Yeah, for like five minutes. Man, man fuck that guy and f- f- double fuck Harry, frankly. Mm, yeah. If if Harry can't communicate at that point that, that he can't do the job, then like, fuck you. Yeah, it's bleak stuff. And it was, I will say, pretty cathartic when Tom Hanks was diagnosed by the quack doc before being visited by the Colonel Sanders on PCP character when he trashes the office Mm-hmm. Yes. It kind of calls out everybody's foibles. That was pretty cathartic. And honestly, I thought this was going to be a <laughs> rollicking time at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll also say it's an extremely long intro to this movie. Mm. Yeah. It the pace does not just jump right off. It's this slow, horrible dragging like. The worst Monday morning you've experienced is the vibe of the opening of this movie. And and I guess it's hitting the tone that it wants, but fuck me. It does yeah. kind of outstay its welcome. I kind of wish they'd stuck with that vibe because I was genuinely interested in Tom Hanks' portrayal of a character who's dealing with his own mortality and the time limit that he has left. Like It makes mm-hmm. perfect sense that this guy shows up at his terrible apartment that has holes in it and is like, hey, you're going to die. Tom's like, yeah. That's fact. So jump in a volcano? He's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially mm-hmm. when he's waving credit cards. And I loved the shopping scenes after that, where he's going from place to place, enjoying things he never got to enjoy before. Like, there's a cool message in there. Mm-hmm. And then we totally just uh, butt fucked it by chucking him into a volcano and having him blown out like whack-a-moles. Yeah, it, the movie. I don't think could ever really settle on what it wanted to say. Yeah. And and I am curious, what did you think of this sort of new spin on Tom, which is mullet pasty Tom? Ooh, gotta say, didn't like Tom with the mullet. Boy, it's, I think he is the ugliest person with a mullet. No other human <laughs> being is worse at pulling off a mullet than, as I learned uh, last night, Thomas Jeffrey Hanks. Yeah, I feel like it's the lack of a beard or any other, you know, texture. It's the smoothness. I'm I'm sorry, Luke, are you suggesting to me that anyone would look better with a beard and a mullet? <laughs> I don't think it could hurt if we're applying a band-aid to the situation for sure. I hmm. Now that's <laughs> something. I hear they're doing research on this in some of the Nordic <laughs> countries. Maybe we'll see that report by the end of twenty twenty. <laughs> Yeah, I would love to see the mulleted Swedes that they get for this. Yeah. Now, I am curious. So he cleans out his desk when he's quitting his job. Mm-hmm. And he he pulls four items from his desk that he opts to keep. And I, I don't know if you clocked this or not. I don't I remember the act. I don't remember what they were, and I'm so okay. excited to dig into this. It was Robinson Crusoe, Romeo and Juliet, The Odyssey, and a ukulele. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. Okay, I have theories about this, but I want to hear what what you're thinking right now. 
it it does feel like that was the director, uh, John Patrick Shanley, who I do have a very interesting sort of factoid about him. Nice. Saying that's the movie. Yes, yes. I think that's exactly what I was thinking. I think they walked in when they pitched this movie. Somebody threw that set of books and the <laughs> ukulele down and went, Holy shit. Boom. This is the movie. And everyone went, Holy shit. Where do we finance? It was those four items and a, f- and a headshot of Tom Hanks <laughs> that someone maybe drew a mullet onto. <laughs> and Sharpie. Yes, that is exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. John Patrick Shanley walked into some fucking Hollywood exec's office, threw these items at him, and said, pay me. And they said, how much do you need? (laughs) How high? (laughs) Yeah. Man, what the... I mean, just the hubris involved to chuck that set of things out and then to make a movie that doesn't even, like... it It doesn't so much as even come close. We're, like, in a totally separate universe from anything that those those pieces of media are bringing. Yeah, and you know, reflecting on it now, it's just like, oh, I just sort of want to evoke the vibe of these books, but not mm-hmm. even necessarily scrape into like the lightest bit of them. So it's like, oh, there's a shipwreck. Oh, actually, fuck it. The Odyssey doesn't even really fit. Because he no, doesn't dude. come across any... And he just goes on a trip. Mm-hmm. So, So I guess in that way... Every movie in which a character travels from a point A to a point B, that's the Odyssey, folks. <laughs> that's what I remember. I think you're right. I think they, the pitch was not, we're going to make a fusion of these dishes. It was just, we're smelling these in the kitchen, plus the headshot of Tom Hanks. Yeah. And then Romeo and Juliet. So uh, I'm curious as to what you thought of the romance between Tom and Meg. Yeah, so for the listeners at home, they sort of present three different people as potential love interests. So there's the the lady in his office that he asks Dee Dee. out. Dee Dee, thank you. And then there is the first daughter of the crazed colonel that we meet. And her name would be like Angelica. And Angelica. she talks like this. Yeah, and she thought, has... It's art. It's not real. <laughs> Sam's imitating her accent, which is just insane. Yeah, what a fucking choice. I mean, it's just, it is literally like that. So she'll be like, for the whole movie, or my favorite line. So they're driving into LA, and he's, she's like, you ever been, sorry, you ever been to LA? And he's like, no, it looks fake. And she goes, this is a great town. It stinks, but it's a great town. Yeah, Which I holy enjoy quite shit. You... Got the line reading verbatim. That's it. Um, yeah. And then we, we end up on the boat and then there's another daughter. And uh, yeah. Uh, and her name's Patricia. And here's mm. the thing that I didn't notice. And Luke, you didn't notice until just now. My wife noticed. Those are all Meg Ryan. Yes, dude. Sam isn't kidding. I literally did not clock this. So I guess props to Meg Ryan until we saw it on IMDb. And holy shit, Sam. What the fuck? Yeah, Kenna told me last night while we were watching the movie, she was like, oh, they were all Meg Ryan. And I went, the fuck? <laughs> it's a it's a clump situation. What the fuck? Why? Yeah. Especially, Why were they all Meg Ryan? Especially Dee Dee, because the two sisters are related, I guess. That's some like Arrested Development type stuff. But 
to have this random lady at the beginning. What the actual fuck? Yeah, god fucking damn it. <laughs> I just... It was such a... There's so many bizarre choices in this movie, and it's just... I don't know how to live with it. And, yeah. And then there's the fact that Tom Hanks goes on this long rant, and I'm just going to jump back to the beginning of the movie. He goes on this long rant about how how $300 a week isn't worth the miserable experience that this job is or the time that he spends at his job. And it's all sort of a waste of his fucking life and, and fuck Mr. Waturi or whatever his name is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I was like, fuck yeah, hell yeah. No, you shouldn't fucking waste 40 hours a week of your life for 300 bucks a week. And then this morning I punched that into an inflation calculator and Luke, that's, Oh. That's about how much I make. Um, oh no! In, in twenty twenty dollars, <laughs> and um, I have to live with that now. Where I supported Tom Hanks, thinking that three hundred dollars a week in nineteen ninety dollars was a waste of his life, but it's how much I make in twenty twenty dollars, adjusted for inflation. And boy, boy oh, mm. boy oh boy. Um, uh, mo- moving on uh, <laughs> to. To yeah. another sort of book wild choice. Can I tell you about the alternate ending for this movie? I I did not even know this was a possibility until you mentioned this pre-record. And dude, I have been waiting at the edge of my seat to hear what the alternative was to them being jettisoned out of a goddamn volcano and safely deposited into the sea. I am so ready. Yeah. Uh. So I haven't even finished reading it because it sounded too good. And I decided, no, I'll wait. So this is verbatim from uh, IMDb. Uh, thank I'm you, so Jeff, ready. Jeff Bezos. Mm, Daddy Bezos, give me the details. Let's see. The, the movie was reshot to change the ending, which was unpopular with test audiences. In the original ending, after Joe and Patricia are expelled by the volcano, they are rescued by the Tweedledum, the sister of the yacht that was sunk, the Tweedledee. On board are the rescued crew of the D as well as Graynamore, who I think that's Jeff Bridges, L- Lloyd Bridges. Yeah, Lloyd Bridges. that's the, the colonel, I believe, right? Yes. And and Dr. Ellison, uh, the doctor who uh, diagnoses Tom with brain cloud, mm-hmm. who turns out to be Graynamore's tax accountant and hatchet man by the name of Kenneth Hindmick. Whoa. Graynamore reveals he had Hindmick pose as a doctor to make Joe think he had a fatal disease. Heinrich pulls a gun on Joe to protect Graynamore from Joe's anger and to allow Graynamore to keep the yacht. Joe, having stared into the mouth of a volcano, calmly swipes the gun from Heinrich, then announces to Graynamore that he and Patricia had gotten married by the chief. They both banish Graynamore and Heinrich to the boat's dinghy in the middle of the ocean. Graynamore tells Heinrich that he likes Joe and admits being banished in the small dinghy in the middle of the ocean is his price for being too greedy and tells Heinrich to help him row home. Back at the Tweedledum, Joe and Patricia see the four steamer trunks popping to the surface with the chief riding the last one, brandishing his Toby, uh, happily telling them he didn't lose his soul after all. Joe replies he didn't lose his either. The only remnant from the original ending is that in the end credits, you see an artist's rendition of the Tweedledum sailing off into the distance. What the fuck? <laughs> Whoa! Holy what the fuck? balls. That's what like, the fuck? 
They wrote a goddamn Silmarillion <laughs> alternative <laughs> ending packed with what? lore and information. Holy shit. What the fuck, Luke? Ah, oh, God. I also I kind of want to know what changed that they decided to do what they did instead. But also, like, I love this time capsule of bullshit. It's like we dug it up and it was just full of, like, open spam containers and used condoms. Yeah. Holy shit. Mother of God, dude. That is... <laughs> this movie, what a way to go out. Because it's not just bad. It is definitely a bad movie. But it's so wild from taint to tip yeah and like there are good moments in it like i gotta tell you i loved lloyd bridges in this he was so goddamn good and his like just sort of like busting into uh tom's house and like fucking it up and telling him how shitty his house is and tom's Mm -hmm. like pretty chill with it and then he talks about how he's got a load of money because he makes superconductors or something and yeah. then he gives this wild look to Tom and says, I want to hire you to jump into a volcano. <laughs> it's like, super surreal and it's great. Like he even in that scene has, he just pulls peanuts, like a package of peanuts out of yeah. his coat. Slaps them on a table. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, can we talk about how I was uncomfortably correct about what the plot of this movie was? Yeah, I actually was thinking about this pretty much for the entire runtime of this movie. Dude, are you psychic? I don't know, because uh, the only difference was that to appease the volcano god, Tom didn't have to fuck Med- Meg Ryan. That was yeah. it. I mean, we were just like a hair away from that being a reality, though. Like Otherwise, you yeah. hit every single bullseye in this one, and I am just in awe of how much shittiness you're capable of predicting. Yeah, I'm distressed by it, quite yeah. frankly. Well, in this, did you did you have any other favorite scenes other than the colonel busting up into his stuff? Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, I will say I did love Lloyd Bridges' quote, which was "Live like a king, die like a man." Yeah, Fuck, I got a T-shirt that's... that says that. Yeah, let me let me poke through my notes here. So I'm actually gonna say the weirdly the shipwrecked them uh, on the trunk raft. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of enjoyed it because it, it's a deeply terrible scene. Yeah. But but there are aspects of it that I love, which was um, the fact that 100% Meg Ryan was a corpse. Yeah. Oh, she's just laying there for the duration of this mini castaway experience. She's just, yeah. just laying there. And he never checked for a pulse. Um, he does this wild-ass terrible dancing, mm-hmm. which was both wonderful and, and hate-filling. He got her to recoup- recuperate on a cap full of Perrier a day mm-hmm. uh, from the looks of it. And then you get this like burnt, scabbed, hallucinating Tom who starts <laughs> like praying to his new god, the too big moon. Yeah, um, there's a moon and- that shows up during the middle. Of this is what Sam's referring to. And it's ginormous. And Tom has some flavor of spiritual experience. And he starts praying to it and like. The, the angle that they picked for it is easily the worst angle oh. of Tom Hanks we've seen. And I include the taint shots from Turner and Hooch in that. Yes. It's in my notes. <laughs> it's like they took the webcam, they put it at his navel, and then they just put shadows all over everything but his mouth and chin. It's so horrible. Mm-hmm. And it's... I just... So I we can agree that this is a poorly written, poorly directed movie, right? Yes. Oh, 100%. Okay, do you know what 
John Patrick Shanley also wrote and directed? I do not. I'm extremely curious to hear. So I'll tell you, in a thousand years, you'd never guess it. Because it's doubt. Whoa. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. This, the motherfucker who shat out this rotten turd of a movie, also did doubt a not-at-all-funny fucking, like, masterpiece of a movie. God, and with the talent in that movie, too, like... Meryl Streep, Philip Seymour Hoffman, how the fuck did they get their wagons attached? Hey, this is also, um, I meant to tell you, the second time we're back to being executive produced by Steven Spielberg. What? Yeah, dude, he's an EP on this. Holy shit. Yeah, this one, this movie. God damn it. Um, well, Well, Luke, do you have a favorite scene? It's actually the same set of scenes, so God we damn it, straight we up share. share a brain. Yeah, it's it's such a weird departure from the rest of this film, but it just it shrinks everything down. In my notes, I put that this movie is a demented snow globe, and this is just like for ten minutes, we're focused on a very specific portion where the scabbed up, delirious Tom Hanks plays golf <laughs> on top of some floating luggage containers, and Meg Ryan is pretty pretty much dead or in a coma which as you pointed out you can fix with just a cap full of perrier a day that's their new slogan is a cap full of perrier a day oh yeah uh fix a coma um (laughs) and then the moon thing i mean it sucks it's absolutely horrible but i just i loved it i loved the just the girth of this moon as it comes up from the horizon and the weird webcam angle and tom's Mm -hmm. whole thing oh yeah I don't know. It's so good, man. This this movie is a train wreck, but I, honestly, if you can get it for free and you don't mind losing an hour and 40 minutes, Sam, I kind of think it's worth a watch. I I had yeah, I kind of hate that I'm saying it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I th- I think it is. And I did I did notice something mm-hmm. about about me that that this project has changed to a degree, and I'm kind of curious where you're at on it too. I think I'm already with you, but go ahead and just land right there on the landing pad for me. Okay, so Kenna was was looking at watching some movies the other night, and she was scrolling through Netflix, and she was like, oh, I want to watch this, I want to watch this. And Luke, I don't look at titles anymore, I look at runtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yep. it. I was like, oh, that's an hour, 20 minutes. Yeah, I can fucking swing with that. Hell yeah. Oh, uh, that's that's an hour 30. Uh-huh. Okay. Ooh, two hours. Ah, I could probably do it. Yeah. But that's it. I don't assess them by anything else because if this project has taught me anything, it's that I can watch literally anything. It's yeah. just the amount of pain I will experience from it is directly proportional to the runtime. Yes, so with you. I actually have some an extensive set of notes where I broke down the fact that this movie, the subplot that it's trying to get across is that you should, uh, as Warren Zevon said, cherish every sandwich, like enjoy every moment in life, don't waste mm-hmm. it doing stuff. And here we are. I do the same exact thing. It's literally like this movie is two hours and six minutes and I'm not required to watch it. And then I will teeter on that seesaw of whether or not it's worth committing to that. <laughs> Meanwhile, this movie is basically telling us, hey, fuck nuts, don't waste your life doing this project. Man, I'm so right there with you. Yeah, well, you know, frankly, I'm glad to hear it. And and for our listeners, I just want you to know, if you're trying to live up to that, don't waste any time of your life. You know, you're not going to be able to, to squeeze every second out. 
but I will say you could do worse than wasting yeah. a cool 75 minutes on Yes, God, Yes, a brilliant <laughs> film starring Natalia Dyer and Timothy Simmons. Uh, it's it's a real good time, and even if it's not, it's 75 minutes, baby. You can uh, do something else that evening. This does explain why you keep pitching this movie on our <laughs> podcast, just because it's a breezy 75 minutes. You can knock that out Yeah, in 75 minutes. That's easy. Yeah, and like, do you know how much how much other stuff you can tackle in the same <laughs> evening that you watch that one movie? That's all I think about now. Man, it's so true. What else could I be doing in the runtime of this flick? And to your point, you know, Yes, God, Yes is right in that sweet spot of whatever else you had planned. Man, you can you can fit that one in. You're not doing nothing. Yeah, a hundred percent. Can I can I put in just one other little favorite bit? From yeah, this I have a really quick one as well. So if you want to spit that one out for me, yeah, it's got to be the chief. Yes, he's so fucking chill, uh, and just everything. Like they show up and they're like, "Hey, is there?" St-? And he's like, "No, just jump in the volcano." <laughs> and then and then they're like, "We want to get married," and he's like, "Okay, do you want to marry him? Yeah. Do you want to marry her? Yeah. Okay, cool. You're married." Yeah. jump in the volcano <laughs> he was a great little character and despite the pretty circumspect costume that they have him in he was mm-hmm. i feel like a good little window in what could have been if they'd gone with the original concept for this island and fuck did i love it oh yeah hey did you also uh clock one of the other uh little actors in one of those deeply offensive uh costumes no it was nathan fucking lane what? Yeah. You're kidding me. How did they no. get him? How did they sneak him in through the back door on this one? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Based <laughs> on his performance, they may have thrown a fistful of cocaine in his face. But because he was he was like the main islander who was like running around and yelling and shit. Holy fuck. That's this movie, y'all. Again, <laughs> I don't know that you should seek it out, but if it landed in your lap, I mean... It's a watch. Yeah, it's so... eat it all up. If this fell on your plate, uh, lick it clean. Yeah. Because holy shit. My, my other really quick favorite was just in that scene before he says, no, nah, just jump in the volcano. At the big party, they have two gongs and two people s- fly into the scene on ropes mm-hmm. and smack into the gongs, making a gong sound, and then the chief shakes his head. And I just found that that was pretty good. It was a, hey. a funny gag. You and Kenna, because, boy, she fucking <laughs> just uh, had a great time with that one. And I actually think there was another one where she full-on cackled. And I mm. do want to hit that uh, just really quick. Yeah. Because, holy shit, there was something in here that she just loved. Mm. Um. Well, God damn it. I'll toss this out there while I try to find it. So, fuck, Mary, kill Patricia, Angelica, or Marshall, the limo driver. <laughs> Mary Marshall just oh 100% duh. yeah guys this is the random driver that's driving around while he's shopping a dude's chill as hell he's got a lot of good advice I mean he seems stable he's already married so that's a problem but yeah he's great yeah. the f- I don't remember the names so the one well, never mind yes I do so the I don't remember her name never mind I, I'm failing on that one the first uh, sister Patricia Patricia is like Meg Ryan Prime yeah, and then exactly. Angelica is, a, it, it's a great town. It stinks, but it's a great town. It's a great town. It's a yeah, great I th- I, town. Weirdly, I think fuck her and then uh, murder Patricia. Because if you're going to murder someone and get away with it, doing it at sea, there's worse ways to do it. Mm-hmm. 
So you're gonna fuck you're gonna fuck Angelica, huh? Yeah, regrettably, I think so. In this uh, situation we've concocted, I think that's my out. You know, I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't actually find the thing that Kenna laughed at really hard, but listeners just know that my wife laughed at something in this movie <laughs> really hard. Yeah. And and you know what, Luke? On that mm-hmm. note, uh, I just realized Lloyd Bridges has offered me a great deal of money to jump into a volcano, <laughs> and I need to go get that money from the, the Hanks Bank. Could you come with me? Yeah, man. Let's go. All right. Luke, can we tell our listeners about our new friend? Oh, man, I really wish you would. I'm so excited for this bit. Folks, we have made just a great friend uh, during this watch, and that would be the luggage salesman mm. uh, that Tom mm. goes to, to to find the best piece of luggage to take on this f- fantastic, frivolous journey of his. Luke, let's let's talk about our new friend. His name is Gerald. <laughs> no last and, name just gerald the luggage man yeah uh yeah gerald the luggage man and yeah what uh give give our folks some some facts about gerald yeah let's put some stank on gerald so sam has wonderfully introduced our new bit our new friend where we're going to just take a deep dive into our new friend uh from the film so luggage man this is during the shopping spree when tom hanks has the new credit cards from the crazed colonel and uh he ends up at a luggage shop and this man dude sam this man is passionate about luggage oh god he's uh he's dare i say horny for it oh this is his whole life he says that to tom he says luggage because he starts the scene by saying have you ever thought about luggage and tom's like nah and he's like luggage is my whole life oh not even that if i may correct you he says luggage is the central preoccupation (laughs) of my life God, I love him. And inevitably, he ends up giving him four of, uh, or six, four or six of the, the finest uh, steamer trunks they have. But Sam, that's Tied not important. Tied as a drum. Uh, what I want to know about Luggage Man, Sam, is how he came to be this way. How do you think Luggage Man got here in his life? So I'm, I'm sad to say that Luggage Man got here and his tale starts tragically. Mm. Luggage Man's father was Harry Houdini. Oh, and as we all know, Harry Houdini tried to do a trick where he got out of a piece of luggage. In fact, the very piece of luggage that Luggage Man sold to Tom Hanks for this was the perfect suitcase. Mm. And in in that uh, this trunk, uh, as Gerald describes, tight as a drum. Mm. Uh, and luggage, uh, Gerald's father, Harry, could not get out of it. And he did perish oh. in that luggage. And so instead of swearing a sort of blood pact uh some sort of uh hate oath upon luggage instead gerald said no no i will spend my life using luggage for good (laughs) sort of like nobel creating the nobel prize to make up for dynamite luggage man precisely has pivoted on his heels to provide superior luggage to the world as penance for the great evils done to him and his family and so that his father's death would not besmirch the good name of luggage. Of luggage. Man, holy shit, I love that. That explains, because his whole vibe isn't that he's, you described him as horny for luggage. I think that's accurate. I'm not going <laughs> to argue that. But he's he's weirdly, like he's not crazy. They don't portray him as being a no. crazed individual. He's just very, very into luggage. 
Yeah, it's just, again, the central preoccupation of his entire life. Yeah. He watched his dad perish inside a steamer trunk, and he said, I will make sure that steamer trunks do not suffer for my from my terrible loss. Yeah, he's the he's the Batman, the Bruce Wayne of luggage. <laughs> Holy shit, he is. <laughs> he absolutely is. And uh can you tell us what we know about Gerald's family, his wife? Yeah, so if I had to speculate, I would say that uh this is actually a double life, much like Batman. I think he treats it oh. with the same degree of respect where when he goes into his boutique he is no longer Gerald the family man, Gerald the uh, the deacon, the elder of the church, right? This is mm-hmm. a new man. This is Gerald, the purveyor of the finest luggage, the most airtight, the most watertight. Tight as a drum. Tight as a drum. This is a man who has so dedicated his life to luggage that, uh, you know, much like Batman, this is a wholly separate entity, a persona, if you will, from his home life. And then otherwise, I think he goes home. They think he's like a stockbroker. He's, he's obviously bringing in some money, or maybe he mm-hmm. has a trust fund from Houdini that he's hidden away that nobody knows about. Um, <laughs> but his life at home, pretty normal. Does a crossword, you know, watches watches TV. This is the 90s. Hangs out with his kids. They go to a nice, a nice private school. Nothing suspect, but late at night, he goes down to the basement and it's just charts and diagrams and historical texts <laughs> of luggage. <laughs> Breaking down the finest luggage from antiquity, and he spends hours with a coffee pot and a table lamp just concocting the finest luggage anyone has ever seen. Do, do you think his family knows that they can't bring up luggage around him? <laughs> they don't know why, they just, and they assume it's because of the tragic death of his father, Harry Houdini. Yes. But they just they just go we can't you can't talk about luggage around Gerald he just he gets very very upset. Holy shit, I think you're totally <laughs> right. That's what a great ass cover because anytime they bring up luggage, he can just say, "I don't want to talk about that." Right? Yeah, or or he can just let out a guttural scream. <laughs> uh and they'll go, "God damn it, you can't talk about luggage around Gerald. He'll be like this all night now." Yeah. But inside, he's smiling because he knows he's got some new stuff coming out. And it's the best work he's ever done. And he just, you know, there's a little photo of Houdini somewhere in his house. And every time he just looks at it and he thinks, Dad, you know, I've turned this around. You'd be, you'd be proud of me. I'm no longer getting inside of luggage uh, for money with the prospect of escaping from it. Instead, I am uh, releasing the joy of traveling to the world with our, our premier luggage line. There it is. Yeah. He he's sworn this oath to his to his unfortunately dead father. <laughs> and and the other thing is he he does seem very interested in the trip itself. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Tom, the luggage has to be tailor made, right? It does, it does. But and it, but there's more to it than that. It's mm. it's not just that he he needs particularly with Tom's trip. It's not that he specifically is trying to tailor it perfectly it's that he has found essentially the the perfect trip mm, yes this we may have seen gerald's magnum opus oh i think a hundred percent i think this schmuck wandered in described traveling by plane traveling by boat staying on an island and this is the peak of gerald's career right here and you know i don't know much about screenwriting but i do know that you're only supposed to write about the most interesting day in that character's life. And mm. so I put it to you, Luke. This movie is not about Tom Hanks. 
This movie is about Gerald. (laughs) Man, that warms my heart because I love the idea that for a brief moment, just the tiniest glimpse, we got to see Gerald completing his life's work, fully redeeming himself in his father's death. He can't bring him back. No amount of shellac or fine interior leather is ever going to bring back his father, who is Houdini. (laughs) But maybe through this trip, his life will will have added purpose to the world. And and on that he he closes down the store. He mm-hmm. no longer needs this. Yeah. His, the central preoccupation of his life is is complete. Yes. And maybe he got enough from that sale that he could genuinely Oh sweetie, you know, stocks were up today. I hit it big. I'm just going to retire now. Then, what do you uh, What do you think he did for the rest of his days? You know, I think once completed, uh that was his sole preoccupation. I think he just sat around reading some Grishams. Being with his kids, having a nice little a nice little end. You know, I, I sadly I think he did die of uh, congestive heart failure probably ten years after this. Like he had plenty of time with his family, but I think it was it was pretty quick after the the drive was gone. I like to think that as as grim an end as you you've put on this, that it did happen while they were on their first and only family trip. Mm, I that love he, that. Then they finally were able to talk about luggage around Gerald. He didn't <laughs> scream and run off into the night as he usually did. They figured, you know, maybe Gerald finally went to therapy and he never told us. Mm. He finally made peace with his father's death. And when we were able to go maybe to the French Riviera. Mm. And there it was that, that Gerald laid out on a nude beach died of congestive heart failure. Yeah. So one day you're saying his kids came up the steps Maybe he was sitting in his chair reading his Grishams, and they're like, "Hey, Dad, we're planning a trip. Uh, can you can you get the luggage?" And he just had a little glint in his eyes. He said, "Yes, I can get the luggage. I know exactly the piece to bring." <laughs> Man, holy shit! God, Gerald really is the focus of this movie. He is, and he's our new friend. Man, that was great. God, it was. It, I feel I feel warm now. Yeah, out of this, uh, it's not a trash heap. It's kind of just the sludge pile. Out of the sludge pile of this movie, we have extracted a brilliant gold nugget. Yeah, you know, there there was some good in here. Hey, Luke, can I hit you with a thought that I should have included in the first half of this? Mm-hmm. So, uh, during the week, I, uh, I was reading some article, I don't know, and I happened across a movie clip from Cool Hand Luke where... The main character ate uh, 50 hard-boiled eggs. And all I could think is, I want to see Tom Hanks do that. (laughs) Don't we all? Where's the Kickstarter for that one? (laughs) Do you think if we ever got Tom Hanks to be on this podcast, (laughs) we could get him (laughs) to eat 50 hard-boiled eggs? Man, it's a shame he's not on Cameo. Because I would pay upwards of several thousand dollars. <laughs> Tom, please get on Cameo. We got some hard-boiled eggs we need you to eat. <laughs> we will cater the eggs, whatever you need, man. Please. Oh, shit. Well, on that note, Luke, do, do you have anything else for our listeners? No, I think that's it. I'm so happy to be going out, uh, much like Gerald sitting on the beach in the French Riviera. Um <laughs> You know, just a real heartwarming episode, this one. Yeah, what a what a great trip this was. You know, for 
for future looks into into the life and times of Tom Hanks' filmography, where he may or may not consume 50 hard-boiled eggs. We'll never know. <laughs> um, why don't you follow us on uh, Twitter at HanksyPanksy or on Facebook at HanksyPanksyPodcast. Or drop us a line. Give us, shoot us an email at mm-hmm. hanksypanksypod at gmail.com. Please, we would love to hear from you and how much you want to see Tom Hanks, <laughs> America's dad, consume egg after egg after egg until he has swallowed 50 hard-boiled eggs whole. Mm-hmm. So, so next week, well... You, we've parted the kimono a little bit, so we've already watched next week's movie, Bonfire of the Vanities, so so yeah. we can't really give you our prediction for what we think it is. Though I do think maybe it could be fun. Luke, do you want to tell him what maybe you thought the movie was going to be about? <laughs> yeah, so as Sam alluded to, next week's going to be Bonfire of the Vanities, a Tom Wolfe movie gone, or book gone movie. You know, I was expecting a, <laughs> a more idyllic version of the 80s sort of a wolf of wall street but not as shitty with likable characters and no racism and uh yeah minor spoilers check out that episode because that is that is not what we got sam that movie makes me too sad to to even really (laughs) project an alternate reality onto do you have anything for that yeah, I've, I've got one that we can cling to and sort of lie to ourselves for the rest of our lives that this mm-hmm. is the one that we watched, and it's where uh, Tom Hanks plays Girolamo Savonarola, uh, a Renaissance-era <laughs> uh, priest uh, transported into the modern era of the 1980s and uh, and is horrified to find all of our brand-new vices, and he goes on quite the crusade to remove these uh, these vanities from our lives. And, uh, nice. and it does culminate in um, a, a just sort of a whole city block sized bonfire of all our <laughs> prized possessions as uh, Tom Hanks as as Savonarola cackles over it. The the fire gleaming in his eyes. Uh, roll credits. Nice. And Bruce Willis punches a book. Sure. Why not? Uh, so yeah, catch that next week. That'll be uh, 1990s Bonfire of the Vanities. And Luke, do you have a do you have a final quote for us? I do. This week's final quote comes from Gerald himself, the luggage man, and it is very exciting as a luggage problem. Ooh, yes. And Luke, <laughs> may you live to be a thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another quote from uh, the end of that sale, man. Yes, I'm sorry. I needed to make sure that we heard that one. Yeah, super worth it. Uh, you know, God bless and keep Gerald, the uh, the luggage man. But yeah, uh, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Hanksy Panksy. Uh, we'll be back next week with 1990s Bonfire of the Vanities. Until then, vote Democrat and wear a mask. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs>